From the heart of darkness, it's the IGN DigiGuys. So take off your thinking caps and please welcome two men who have made a friend of horror, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Wow, well welcome to Wade and Mark's cooking show. Corey, uh, who sent us that opening this week? That was written by Kevin Stubblefield. His new line of razors will be out soon. <laughs> I like that. All right. Um, speaking of cooking, and we're just we're just copping to it now. We're not going to talk about movies anymore. It's all about food, isn't it, Mark? It's well, all about food. It, it was never about food <laughs> until you gave me the official, the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook, which yes. you gave me last week, and I yes. promised I would make you something from it. Oh, I'm so and scared. I have, oh, dear. Wade. I have. Would you like to know what I made you? Or would you like to talk about the cook? No, by tell, by no. the way, hmm. we got a cookbook th- uh, last week. Yes. We have another cookbook this week. We, we're not asking for cookbooks. I, I, why is that? Why, why are the publicists sending us cookbooks? Well, it's the same people who, do, who are doing both of these. And uh, I, I thought it was cute. Why not? Well, I think The Hunger Games is cute, a little more up our uh, yeah. up our, uh, yes. our demographic alley. Sure. But you have one. Oh, yes. That, uh, well, I, tell, uh, what did you cook for me this week? Why I didn't cook it. I baked it. What did you bake? I, ba- uh, I baked us strawberry shortcake bars. Oh, sweet. Now, yeah, they are sweet, actually. They're actually too sweet. Um, according to Hunger Games Chapter 4, Mayor Undersea has a fondness for strawberries. So this strawberry shortbread is sure to be a hit sweet. in the mayor's house. Awesome. It's likely to be enjoyed by both the mayor and his daughter, Madge. Well, uh, while you're getting one of those ready for me, the other cookbook this week is the unofficial Downton Abbey cookbooks. This is a little more sophisticated. We're not, there's no post-apocalyptic stuff here. This is just what you eat in a nice English manner. Uh, the unofficial Downton Abbey cookbook. From Lady Mary's crab canapes to Mrs. Patmore's Christmas pudding. More than 150 recipes. From upstairs and downstairs. Why? Why won't you let me have that one? You. you why do you give me the lame Hunger Games cookbook and you get the, I'm the, the awesome, fan. totally awesome Down Abbey cookbook? Oh, I'll let you. I'll let you. You can hang on to this for a week and make something if you no, want. No, 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 no. Um, wait, no, 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 no. Before the show, you said because I made you the strawberry bars, <laughs> shortcake bars. I'm going to You were going to make me something and bring well, it Sunday. Okay. And you know what's going to happen? So this is what will happen. I will. Uh, I'll talk to you Saturday, and I'm like Wade. Uh, have you made anything yet? The next podcast is uh, coming up soon. You know what you're going to say? Haven't had time. That's what will happen. <laughs> well, I was on radio last week, so my time's a little bit better now. But this is great. You know, you got, uh, like, I'll probably put something here from uh, Chapter 7, The Finishing Touch, Sweets and Desserts. Well, it's... Decadent it's, chocolate almond cake with sour cream. Oh. Um, give me that. Let me see it. Icing. Let me see it. Wow. Give me, give me sour it. cream icing. My goodness. Don't stop the recording. Okay. I want to stare at this. Okay. You oh, that's not the recipe. That's the table of contents. Well, you know what? I, I, had, never <laughs> made, uh, I had never made shortcake shortbread yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that there's, a, uh, that there's an art to making shortbread. <laughs> Which involves so, what? This is so beyond what we're supposed to be I talking know. about. Who cares? You know what? Just, fa- just fast forward. Yeah. It's a podcast. Fast yeah. forward. Um, I didn't realize how short, shortbread was made. Right. Now, shortbread may be made other ways, but this is how... The Hunger Games have you do mm-hmm. it. Now, the Hunger Games, I guess in the, I guess in the Hunger Games world, everything is very uh, inconvenient and must be done from scratch because there's no super Correct. technological stuff, whatever. You can't go to the market. Correct. So There's no town. There's no, no country store. So here's what you do. There's no Hank Drucker. There is not. There's no, no Circle K. There's nothing. No. So you get your 9 by 13 pan, and then you make the dough. The dough is, uh, you know, flour, sugar, and whatever. And then you... Uh, 
Oh, by the way, flour, sugar, and a pound and a quarter of butter. So, and that has to be flour ground from your own wheat in the backyard. That's correct. Yeah, which you I have actually to take sold down my condo and moved to a farm. That's it. Just you, for this recipe, you take your your sickle out and you you know yes. Say, and the sugar has to come from your own cane. And I I, I, I hired um, <laughs> I, I hired Richard Gear and uh, Brooke Adams from Days yeah. of Heaven. Mm-hmm. To Sweet, awesome. Farm. <laughs> That's so, great. So yeah. So then what you, <laughs> what you do is, so you whip up the butter and the flour and the sugar and whatever. Yes. And then you. Uh, you take the dough, the resulting dough. Mm-hmm. You break it into two equal, equally weighted halves. Yes. And you freeze both halves. Why do you freeze both halves? Because when it's done freezing, mm-hmm. you take a cheese grater and you grate the frozen dough and use the grated dough to coat the bottom of the pan. Then you put the strawberry jam on. Then you take the other half of frozen dough and you grate it using a cheese grater. I'm hungry. I'm not kidding. I, I, I had no idea it was such a pain in the ass to make shortbread. Okay, well, but you know what? You understand why they do it because it, that's what the, the great. This damn well better be great shortbread because huh? I'm sitting here staring at it. Can while I tell you something? Can, yeah. can I tell you something honestly? What? Uh, if, if I ever made this again, I'd use less uh, strawberry jam because yeah. it's a little sweet for me. Yeah. You know what? Hmm. It's pretty good. Yeah. All I have right. To say. All right. So here we I've go. cut these up into bars. Wade, uh, Wade has not tried this. He didn't I have know. Not tried this. No, hang on. You're taking an end piece. Uh, okay, go for it. Why not? I well, like end pieces. Hang on. Well, no, you're going to take a nap because you're going to spill everything. Okay. All right. And you'll be honest. Yes, I will. Because, you know, you're always honest when you eat my stuff. Most of my cookies you have liked. Uh, the one cookie you didn't like, I also didn't like. But here comes Which the box. really good. See? Yeah. Wow. Now, are you just saying that to kiss the publicist's ass, or is it good? It's really, really good. Okay, thank you. <laughs> not too much strawberry jam at all. Oh, there's not? No. Oh. It might depend what, uh, what, what you know what? God, I didn't want another one of these. I, I've eaten like a th- By the way, I will say. If you would like some more, I have like a big square I can give you because mm-hmm. I'm trying to get rid of, rid of mm-hmm. it. It was a huge 9 by 13 pan. I live alone. I don't need all this stuff in my, in my house. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted a big square, I can give you a big square. Otherwise, uh, go to hell. No. Um, otherwise, here it is. Now I want some. Well, this is really, really good. I'm very impressed. Thank you. But you, but you realize that it's the grating of the frozen dough. That gives it that consistency, that short bready consistency. You know, in keeping with the with the Hunger Games theme, yes, I would kill someone for this. I would, <laughs> I would. The, the shortbread games. Oh yeah. Now I don't know that uh, what I'm making, what I made here, will have the uh, the zing oh, yeah. of something made from the Downton Abbey cookbook. By to- the way, I, I, you totally, know totally, totally, totally worth murder. I have to admit. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have to reiterate, we, we we're we're a Blu-ray show, we're a DVD show. It is a total coincidence that a. I happen to have gotten into cooking about six months ago, big time, and I cook every week. And B, we happen to have gotten two cookbooks in a row from the same publicist. We did not ask for these cookbooks. just um, so happens. <coughs> and Wade <coughs> chokes and dies All on right. my strawberry shortbread. Oh, yeah. So there you go. The, honor, the unofficial Hunger Games cookbook literally has resulted in a recipe that I would make again. I really would. I'm not kidding. I would make it again. All right. We're going to go. Here we go. We ready? Mark, you ready uh, for this? I, I'm going to eat my piece of all right, you eat your piece. Uh, while you're eating, I'm going to blow through a few things here real quickly. Um, you know, we have a ton of Warner Archive titles and a whole bunch of rank collection titles here that I'm going to go through real quickly. 
Warner Archive titles, of course, are DVD-Rs, which are available at warnerarchive.com. I think you can find them also at Amazon these days. They, um, they've extended out. But anyway, a whole bunch of just, I mean, great archive stuff. And it makes me so sad that this is probably never going to wind up on Blu-ray because that's just the nature of the Warner Archive thing. You know, there's no such thing as like a Blu-ray R, a BD-R. This is all done very cheaply on demand. Uh, otherwise known as MOD, Manufacture on Demand. All the studios uh, pretty much have this system now, except for, uh, I think, Disney is the only one that doesn't. But anyway, uh, this is um, The Cool Ones. Mark, did you ever see The Cool Ones? No. Oh, gosh. Such a, such a totally cool relic of its day. Uh, this is, you know, just for, this is from the whole kind of rock and roll era, late 60s to early 70s. It really kind of typifies it. Gene Nelson directed this. And um, it's it's got this really cool, just funky kind of. Um, it doesn't feel like an exploitation film, but it really has like a like a '60s go-go vibe to it that I just thought was just really really fun. And uh, a lot of great people in it. Roddy McDowell is in this. You know, he's like. I the, used to love him. Roddy McDowell basically plays. Uh, what's the name of the guy with the funky hair that murdered the lady? Hmm? You know the the, the 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 impresario, the uh, the rock impresario guy. What was his uh, name? You with know, the... it's um, um, uh, Phil Spector. That guy, yeah, Roddy McDowell basically plays Phil Spector. You like how I said that? The guy with the funky hair that murdered the lady. And, and I knew. No, it's it, it's really it's just it's a it's a cool vibey go go dancing movie. That's the cool ones. And then we have uh, Rod Taylor in Young Cassidy. Rod Taylor, of course, generally is really only known for the Time Machine. Uh, here he stars alongside a lot of great people, Julie Christie, Michael Redgrave, Maggie Smith, uh, for director Jack Cardiff, a great director. Um, and uh, this is one of those British films that sort of tries to be pastoral about the life of the working class Irish. Um, it's, a little too, it's a little over-romanticized, but uh, otherwise some decent performances, not bad. John Ford produced it, because John Ford is always very in touch with his Irishness, as anyone knows who... Uh, who's familiar with his, his entire... Hang on, wait, shut Yeah, up. what? Wait, no one cares. Okay. okay. I actually... Look, this is a big square. I saved this big square oh, nice. for you. Thank you. You will take that with you. Okay. And in case you want to nibble on it now, here's a fork. You're turning this show into the most unprofessional... Actually, it's, most, it's now the most fattening show on the internet. Awesome. You realize there's only a, there's a pound and a quarter of butter in this yeah, recipe. Yeah, that's great. You don't care. Like you, you run and you exercise. And then we also have Rod Taylor in another Jack Cardiff-directed film from the era... Uh, which is, a, it's really more of a, um, a James Bond kind of uh, spinoff. It's called The Liquidator. Also features uh, Trevor Howard and Jill St. John, Wilfred Hyde-White, you know, who was in uh, My Fair Lady. Um, this, is, this is fine. You know, there were a million Bond spinoffs, and, I, you know, Taylor's not exactly the, uh, the, the guy for this, but it, it's perfectly fine. It's, it's kitschy, and, you know, it, 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 uh, it fits the bill. And then there is uh, Damon and Pythias. Now, a lot of people have suggested that there is a, a very strong gay undercurrent to this film. Um, I, you know, if you want to believe that, that's fine. I, I, I don't really care either way. It's not that good. But um, There's a, 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 a chain of Greek restaurants in, in L.A. called Damon and Pythias. There was one in Westwood. Yeah, this is a whole kind of a, you know, a kind of B-level Bible and Bible story type thing. It's not even Bible story. It's more like, you know, Quo Vadis. It comes from that whole thing. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a low-grade Ben-Hur is what it is. And even more low-grade is Hercules, Samson, and Ulysses, which now is— Now, that's a gay thing. Yeah. Uh, you know what? This is—well, <laughs> geez, look at the, look at the, the artwork. 
<laughs> I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? That's a gay thing. Yeah, well, the, the other one, look, look, here. They're fighting over who gets to hold the spear, right? <laughs> and then with this one, you got, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it really looks like they're getting into the position. I mean, it's just... <laughs> assume the position. Assume the position. No, this is, uh, this is one of those Italian things, that, one of these Italian Hercules movies, and uh, there's a gazillion of them, and they were all made really cheaply and inexpensively, and they're all equally cheesy, and they're all from the same kind of... Uh, period when the Italians were doing nothing but uh, spaghetti westerns and, uh, and giallo films. So anyway, that's out there if, you, if it's your kind of thing. Much more my speed are the last two. Heidi's Song, which is a really, really sweet Hanna-Barbera um, uh, telling of Heidi, animated film. And uh, this is one of the treasured memories of my childhood. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's absolutely great. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Great voices, including Lauren Green and Sammy Davis Jr. And uh, it's just terrific. Really, really good songs from uh, Sammy Kahn and Burton Lane. Really just a, just a wonderful movie. And that's out from the archive uh, you collection. Was, you know what's funny is that in the 80s, they, like Heidi was like a thing. In it was. the 80s, people, children read it. There oh was my a gosh, movie. Yeah, totally. There was a th- now Heidi is kind. Of, it's almost like uh, Pippi Longstockings. You know, in the eighties, Pippi, totally. Pippi Longstockings movies, whatever. Now it's I like, know. eh, don't care. And then uh, the great Ken Russell, the man who was uh, kind of a manic genius until he went completely crazy and off the reservation, uh, who died recently or relatively recently, made a one of his uh, musical films from his musical era. He made Listomania, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, this film, uh, you know, Roger Daltrey. Um, Rick Wakeman did the music. Uh, Ringo Starr even shows up with Rick Wakeman. This is just this is just completely off the wall, totally nutty. And, and, what, and what's weird is that is that but, but Russell, it's like brilliant. It's brilliant oh, at the same great. time. It's a, it's a great film. But it's, somehow, it's just totally eccentric. Somehow, Russell didn't mind casting Roger Daltrey in the lead here. Right. However, he didn't cast Roger Daltrey in the lead of the film that featured. Nothing but Who music. I know. Not nothing but yeah, Who music, which was Quadrophenia, which we'll talk about later. We'll talk about later. And uh, then from the Rank Collection, which is an ongoing uh, series of releases from VCI Home Video, they, of course, uh, have an output deal with Rank, which is uh, one of the most amazing libraries of British films ever. Uh, we've got a whole bunch here. Highly Dangerous. I'm just going to give you the titles because there's a ton here. Highly Dangerous. Uh, starring uh, Dane Clark, Margaret Lockwood, Marius Goring. Um, the Long Memory with John Mills and Elizabeth Sellers. That's actually quite good, to be honest. That's, that's a pretty darn good movie. Uh, the Seekers, starring Jack Hawkins and Glynis Johns. Glynis Johns is just so wonderful in this. and Everybody always associates her as being like the goofy mom in Mary Poppins. Oh, no. Glynis Johns rocks this movie. She's really, really good. Uh, by the way, I've spent the last... Some of these got released months ago. I have spent the better part of like the last five months watching a lot of these. You know why? Yeah. No life. The Ars- Thank you. No the, Ars- life. the Arsenal Stadium Mystery with Leslie Banks and Greta, Greta Gint and Leanne Linden. Uh, kind of middling, middling fare. We've got a couple of uh, double features from the Carry On series. Now, you can get all the Carry Ons in a boxed set, but otherwise they have a lot of great double features of them. These are very funny films. Classic stuff. This is Volume 7 and 8, Carry On Dick with um, Carry On Abroad. Don't joke. Carry On Dick. That's the name of the movie. The other one has uh, Carry On Behind with Carry On England. Carry On England is one of the carry best. Carry On Dick and Carry On Behind. Yes. I'm just saying. I know. Carry, carry On England is actually one of the best of the series. Uh, Fanny by Gaslight. This is, this is, uh, this is a lot of fun, actually. Um, Stuart Granger and James Mason are so good in this. They're just, uh, you, you know, come on. Does it, get any, does it get any better than Stuart Granger and James Mason? Seriously. Uh, yeah, it does. 
actually those two voices, many, many times. Those two voices are just priceless. <laughs> we get a great uh, wharf story here called Morning Departure with Richard Attenborough and John Mills in it. That's a really, it's a, it's a pretty cool uh, naval battle movie. Um, a less impressive film in Eagle's Wing. This is a more recent film. I'm surprised that Rank was still kind of kicking at this time. Uh, the only thing this really has it has Harvey Keitel and Martin Sheen in it. It's a it's a you know kind of a a, a uh, an odd recent rank film. Well, recent when I say recent, I mean like late seventies. But it's a, it's a bizarre detour into making American style westerns. It's, it's not their style. But the only thing that's noteworthy from um, 1979 is that the cinematographer and this is Billy Williams, who was one of the two cinematographers on Gandhi, Oscar winner, just a few years later. Peter Sellers in The Naked Truth, amazing, brilliant, genius, because you get Peter Sellers and Terry Thomas in the same movie. I mean, I don't think you need to say anything else. Right? Right. Fuh. Fuh, totally. Uh, also, Peter Sellers in Never Let Go. Terrific. Um, although not as good as the other one. This is, um, yeah, you know, it's a, this is a more serious Sellers, uh, just flexing some muscles that we're unaccustomed to seeing him flex. Love Story with Margaret Lockwood and, again, Stuart Granger. Middling, middling fair. First, A Girl. Uh, this is, you know, uh, it's, it's okay. This is not, you know, the greatest thing ever. It's from 1935, so it's an early talkie. And uh, they're, so they're trying to do the Hollywood thing. It's a little bit of a sophisticated comedy of manners. Um, the story is, is basically Victor Victoria. This is allegedly the film that inspired Victor Victoria, but by no means is it, is it as good. You realize how good Victor Victoria is. And then we got a great World War I film here, terrific World War I film with David Niven and the likes of Stanley Holloway, Trevor Howard, John Laurie, William Hartnell, William Hartnell who would eventually play uh, Doctor Who. You know, Stanley Holloway from uh, My Fair Lady. What a, what a great cast. Doctor Who, dud. And, of course, David Niven. Now, this is a great World War One film. It's called The Way Ahead, and uh, really is terrific. Really terrific. Um, not, not a propaganda film at all. So these are great. Uh, those are the rank films. Mark? Yes, sir. Why don't you tell us about the, um, the, some, some of this concert and sports crap, and I'll, uh, I'll hook everything else up in the meanwhile. <laughs> Oh, wait, Jay and Silent Bob, get old. You, you know, I'm just going to eat while you're doing this. That is fine. That's fine. Uh, Wade and I have talked a lot about um, Kevin Smith, so we all know our feelings about them. And uh, in this, this... This is a live thing that they did, and I actually, I actually heard... I know some people who um, went to one of these shows and said it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. Now, they don't have the best taste in the world, but I'm just saying... Well, you know what? Look, I, I think Kevin Smith is... Very funny, very uh, a great speaker, great, great raconteur, very honest, a little bit profane, but that's part of the fun. This is a live comedy show uh, from London. Uh, they had done it in London, Manchester, and uh, and Edinburgh. And you know, you know the way Kevin Smith does these things. You no, know, no two shows are ever the same. Uh, but there's some really funny stuff here. So it's Jason Mewes, who's had no career other than starring in Kevin Smith films, and Kevin Smith, who's pretty much had no career other than doing his own films, because he never really. Uh, Never really grew as a director, and although you know what, I like Red State. I, I have to say, I, I, there was some good stuff in Red State. Yeah. I, I wanted to hate that thing so bad, but there was some good stuff in it. Uh, he's way too childish to really give you the uh, pointed political commentary you might want from Red State. But anyway, Jane Silent Bob Get Old is uh, good stuff because I love anything that keeps Kevin Smith from directing a film. Okay, <laughs> um, now. I'm not a big hockey fan, but I do know that uh, the LA Kings have never won a Stanley Cup until this year. And to commemorate this very exciting event in uh, L.A. Uh, LA lore, L.A. history. Your, your, your friend Phil was, like, 
inconsolable. Phil about Klein. This. He, he was out of control. The great Phil Klein, whose dog Molly is the love of his life, uh, literally has been a Kings fan for his entire life. And so this was a huge, huge deal for him, as it was with uh, many hockey fans here in L.A. So here we have on Blu-ray and on uh, DVD, Los Angeles Kings Stanley Cup 2012 champions. This is put out by Warner Brothers and the NHL. And uh, it's just re-recaps the um, – as a brief recap of the season – and how the Kings pretty much were left for dead until they somehow managed to make it to the playoffs. And, of course, as we all know, with hockey, the playoffs is the second season. Yeah, exactly. But they peaked at the right time, and they made it all the way through, and they won the Stanley Cup, and congratulations to them. Um, I'm sure that this has resulted in about a, a, a ten minute, uh, 10 minutes of renewed interest in hockey in Los Angeles. Yes. And now we've gone back to not caring about it. Probably. So uh, this is available on straight-up DVD. And it's also available on a DVD Blu-ray combo pack. Lots of bonus features. If you're a Kings fan, it is a no-brainer. Speaking of uh, sports, we have the complete history of the New York Giants. You know, you know what I love about things that say the complete history of? Hmm. The moment the Giants play another game, yeah. no, longer, no longer complete. <laughs> they don't tell you that. That's a great point. Uh, anyway, so uh, the Giants, look, the Giants have a storied history. They've been around since, like, 1925. They've got 22 division titles, uh, four Super Bowls. So if you're a Giants fan, uh, there's a lot to see in uh, the complete history of the New York Giants. Good stuff put out by the good folks at, uh, at NFL, at the NFL Films and NFL Networks. A lot of bonus content in here, a lot of great action. You know, the, the NFL film stuff is always so well shot and so well narrated and very professionally done, very polished, very comprehensive. So if the Giants aren't your favorite team, obviously uh, you're going to pass. But if you do love the, uh, the New York Giants, you know, why not? Give it a whirl. Give it a rental. Well, oh, sure. unless you're a super Giants fan, I guess you got to buy the complete history of the New York Giants. Uh, Stained, the only music DVD we'll talk about or Blu-ray we'll talk about this week is Stained. And they're an American rock band that uh, they're not really my favorite. But um, they, uh, they've had a couple of decent hits. Um, these guys are from, uh, I think they're from Massachusetts. But anyway, the Blu-ray is called Live from Mohegan Sun. And they sing all, all their, you know, hit singles, none of which we've really ever heard of or will ever be memorable. Not Again, Eyes Wide Open, So Far Away, Not the Dire Straits, So Far Away. Um, fading, Falling, For You, Outside, bunch of stuff we don't know because uh, we don't like them. Awesome. <laughs> What's wrong with you? How dare you? I don't know. Exactly. I, I know nothing about Stained. You know, I just know that they, they spell their name in a weird way, and it, 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 it kind of I feel, I feel guilty every time I pronounce them as Stained because I feel like there should be an E in there. You know what I don't like about a, about a lot of these like really like these thrash metal bands, or whatever, like these really these really loud bands. I feel like they have to constantly remind everybody that they're edgy. Like their first album was called I think it was called Tormented, and the second was called Dysfunction. It's like, just it's almost like they 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 try to they try to prove to the kids that they're edgy and dangerous by naming their albums and their singles like really edgy dangerous things. I want a stained album called like like Petticoats and Dandelions. <laughs> when they have an album called Petticoats and Dandelions, I will listen to that. I'm going to send them a, a, a letter. Thank you. I will. I'll do that. I've got four titles here that are noteworthy only because they have guys holding guns on the ti- on the covers. I know it's not new, but I just found it interesting this week. I just thought, boy, there's a lot of guns, and they all look like the same gun. Uh, one is on DVD. The other three are on Blu-ray. The DVD is called Changing the Game. This is one of those titles that is targeted to the urban market. And when we say the urban market, what we mean is um, young black audiences. 
you, urban is now a euphemism so that people don't say young black. I don't know why. When did that become taboo? Uh, because why do we have to like sort of pretend? Because in 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 our culture, if you if you say that that blacks like a certain thing, I see you're racist. Okay, whatever. You can't say that. Look, you know what? I like these things. I like you know. I, years ago, they had a black exploitation uh, festival at the New Art. And at the time, Tim Cogshell and I were both writing for Entertainment Today, who you once wrote for as well. And we decided, you know, let's just do a, a really cool thing. Because Tim and I both grew up with black exploitation films, loving them, but from totally different points of view. And so we wrote, you know, a, uh, a black critic, white critic kind of point-counterpoint thing, a side-by-side uh, article. About it. And it was great. It was terrific. Because it really underscored the fact that these movies were not just for one audience. They really were embraced as much by white audiences as they were by black audiences. But, you know, people don't realize that. Well, so that's anyway. why. You know, my, my pretty much, I mean, Shaft is great and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff you'll name. Yeah. But my favorite black exploitation film yeah. is Across 110th Street because oh, so good. it's Anthony Quinn. It's so good. Like an actual, like, it's a, real it's deal, film. like, you know, white actor or whatever is, yeah. is blessing a black exploitation film by being in it. I love that. I, I dig it. And it's a great film. It is a great film. But I do anyway, love Shaft. So we've got Changing the Game, which is basically Scarface. It's got a guy holding a gun. And then we've got uh, The Viral Factor. This is from Dante Lam, who's one of the, you know, middle-level action guys in Hong Kong these days. He's a, he's a better director than his films would suggest. But anyway, this is from Wellgo. This is out on Blu-ray. Lots of gunplay in this one. The Viral Factor. With Jay Shu and Nicholas C. in it. Uh, you might remember uh, Jay Shu from uh, The Green Hornet. Anyway, um, you know, again, super violent, doesn't make any sense, but it's fine. And then we've got Freelancer, uh, which is just... (laughs) Freelancer, the story of a guy who's not staffed. This just blows my mind. Well, it's Freelancers, plural. You didn't hear that ass. Freelancers, which, this just blows my mind. This, how does this even happen? This has Robert De Niro in it. This has Forrest Whitaker in it. You know what? Let, it's got let two me, let Oscar guess, winners. Two Oscar winners let me guess, along let with me guess who 50, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. Let me guess who produced this. I'm going to take a guess. Hang on. Let me look into my bag. And I'm going to think to myself, his initials are A-L. He runs a production company. Starts with an M. Hmm, help me out, Wade. Avi Lerner? Yes, it <laughs> must be him. Well. Is it? No. <gasps> uh, Scandal. Close, though. It, no, this is... It, 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 it's from the producer of A Righteous Kill and Street Kings, which means that... It, well, but Righteous Kill... Was an Avi Lerner film. Yes. So this basically means that he learned from the... Uh, you know, whoever we, we credit this to, he learned from the, uh, the Avi Lerner school. So anyway, it's clearly... No, in no, that no, mode, no, no. This, this is the Avi Lerner school. The Avi Lerner school is... Here, Bob. Here's $3 million for, uh, for, for 14 days of work. Knowing that they can pre-sell the crap out of it, and it'll make and it'll make its money back before it even shoots a frame. And two more guns on the cover. You're Cuba not Go- even listening. I'm not. Cuba Gooding Jr. and Dolph Lundgren, who's currently visible in uh, Expendables 2, in One in the Chamber. One in the Chamber, Mark. That, that's you know what the, the tagline here. What? When killers collide, every bullet counts. I love the taglines. They're just so cheesy. Well, what, okay, what's better, one in the cha- one in the chamber or Full Metal Jacket? See, full, full Metal, metal jacket. jacket is also, I mean, that's also a, yeah, a, a term. Yeah, but, but Kubrick can do whatever he wants. He can. He could, or could. So anyway, it's, it's gunplay. Um, 
All right, Mark, let's, uh, I'm going to read a, we're going to get into new movies here in a second, but uh, I think it's time that we announce the winners from last week's contest, don't Wait, you think? Is, well, we have, we have some stuff to read, though. We have some, uh, we got a lot of we very limericks. exciting limericks, Wade. Now, here's but, but, the thing, but before, Wade. before we even get to that. Oh, Christ. I just wanted to read a couple of things from the Facebook page, which had a great discussion on The Expendables 2, and some very, very funny comments, and I thought it was worth reading. Alexander Berlika. Uh, from Belarus uh, started it saying just returned from The Expendables 2 and all I can say is it was probably the most satisfying movie experience of the summer finally a blockbuster that remembers that an action movie should be fun no shaky cam no two and a half hour runtime, no existential facial expressions just a bunch of guys kicking ass wholesale and it has a disarming sincerity that makes you enjoy the cheesiest one liner and uh, then there's another great comment over here by um uh, Stuart Moncure, uh, where he finally came back and said, uh, just got back from watching Expendables 2, and holy crap nuts, it was good. I mean, good in the sense that I wanted a brainless movie about geriatric, geriatrics who turned hundreds of people into human mulch and got exactly at. It's like the grumpy old men of action movies. <laughs> I love our fans. It's I do. The, love our listeners. It, it really is. It's, you know what it is? It, I'm, it, I'm so envious of, of, of both of those posts. I'm like, that's, that's good stuff, man. It is good stuff. Yeah. Our Facebook page has lots of good stuff. And you know what? Our, what, what I really want to see is I really want to see the, the Sunshine Boys redone as a, as a gigantically loud international action thriller crime epic. That's what I want to see. I agree. Yeah, I'm, still well eating, you I'm still eating your... Um, well, that's all you're getting. I gave you a big hunk. Mm-hmm. If you eat the whole thing here, you ain't getting any more. That's fine. Because you've been a bad boy. Why? Because you wouldn't give me quadrophenia. I'm sorry. Because you can keep it for yourself. All right. You only so. sent us one. And I wanted it because I'm a huge Pete Townsend, my, my musical god. Well. Yes, Wade. But we also have the Pirates in 3D this week. Yeah, but you like the pirates because it's the. Uh, let's let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the contest first. Oh, so contest. our limericks, our limericks. Now we got a lot of great limericks. Uh, actually, a lot for us to uh, have to go through. But uh, so we thank you for that. But you know, some decisions are harder than others. Yes, they are. And this decision is very difficult. So now uh, we had discussed uh, before the show. Were we going to read the the five that we like the best, and then say, and then the fifth one that we read will be the one that wins? Yeah, why not? Okay. Uh, I'm going to read the first one. Not a winner. Now, this is the fourth run, fourth, third, second, fourth runner-up? Third runner-up? Wait. If uh, we're reading five, and there's four runner-ups and one winner. Fourth runner-up. This is the fourth runner-up. I guess fourth runner-up. <laughs> uh, this is from Lorenzo Rafa, who says, Aladdin the Dictator said, Kim Jong-il has me sing red. With Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Ho Chi Minh, Gaddafi, and whatnot... All deny Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. Now, here's not, the not thing. Bad. It's good. It's not, it's bad. Good. not bad. He, he lost me in the last line. Yeah. Lorenzo, the last line, you, you, you lost me. I, I know you were going for the comedy, but somehow the, uh, the bust of comedy yeah. kind of went into the ditch just a little bit. But you did a great job. And I love all the uh, historic references. Yes, nice. Uh, Tavrani writes and says, I am the dictator Shabazz Aladdin. I wear a white hat and live across... A burning dune sea. It doesn't quite rhyme, but, you know. I have weapons and army and WMDs to bring down the West and Zion, you see. You think this place is a brutal, horrible, and unconditioned. Uh, hey, what can I say? At least it's not Cleveland. Uh, it's not strictly a limerick. I like the, I like the, you know, I like some of the references. But, yeah, it's not strictly a limerick. Um, and then we have Cliff Kennard writes us. A uh, limerick about a dictator, a poem by Salvador Butachi. I don't 
quite get that, but anyway. There once was a madman from Munich who took hold of Germany and ruined it. He ranted and raved, sent millions to graves, that mustached, sadistic old eunuch. I th- uh, see that's bad. Not bad. Eunuch, because there's a reference to Hitler having only, you know, one ball. Right. See, I, I thought that was an interesting way of folding that in there. But that was good. That's good. <clears throat> and then David Rogers writes, there once was a man from Wadia who deeply hated Medea. He kidnapped Tyler Perry, caned his ass to look like a berry, and he adores the movie Mamma Mia. Now, I like that. Hang on. I like that. But again, I feel like the last line, it was, it was, it was taking me this way, yeah. and then the last line, it goes that way. And, uh, it, and it, it threw me. And our winner, to someone who has actually written some, some, some very funny intros for the show, is Brian Swagel, who said, I went to see Borat at the theater. I hoped Bruno would be much cleaner. Then came the talking penis. We certainly didn't need this. So I hope that the dictator has less wiener. Yeah. See, I like Brian that. Brian Swagel. Brian, Brian, you were the winner. We're going to get you uh, get your name and address over to the... Uh, the good people uh, who will, uh, the good publicist people who will send you your fantastic Dictator Party Pack. So thank you, everyone, for playing. Appreciate it. We're going to uh, hopefully have more really fun, cool contests uh, going forward. This is a good one. That was a good one. That it, was good was, fun. It, well, the thing is that we made the listener work for yes, it, but it was worth it because they didn't get just the Blu-ray. They got the Blu-ray and a whole bunch of other crazy crap. Yep. So it was worth it. It was worth the 90 seconds that our, our fans put into the, each limerick. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for uh, uh, coming across with the comedy. Mm-hmm. We love reading them. We love getting them. So, um, oh, you know what? I, honestly, just keep sending, sending us limericks anyway. Why not? Why, does anyone need an excuse to write a limerick? Not really. I, mean, I don't think so. So the pirates in 3D. Here's the thing. I don't think it needs to be in 3D. I don't think anything needs to be in 3D. Um, and at some point in the future, we will talk about uh, flying uh, flying swords of Dragon Gate <laughs> or whatever it's called. The, the, the Joy Hawk film that I had to see last week with the horrible subtitling. Where did you get from the Pirates to the... 3D. It's all 3D. Oh, 3D. 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 3D connection. Anyway, the Pirates in 3D. You know what? Um, it, it's not a classic Aardman film, but it is directed by Peter Lord, who is the other part of Aardman. We always talk about Nick Park. Uh, Peter Peter Lord is the other half of Ardman, the talkative half, um, but certainly no less talented than um, than uh, Nick Park is. And I have to say, The Pirates in 3D is a fun movie, not a great movie. I kind of wish the script had been better. Um, but that being said, a lot of fun stuff. The stop motion is where the you know the 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 whole clay stop motion thing is really really fun, and a lot of great uh, featurettes and uh, Blu-ray exclusives here. Uh, some of it's really for kids, like, you know, the uh, the pirate disguise dress-up game. And uh, there's some other things here that are really just very kid-oriented. But it really is um, – it's a, it's worth – I don't know if it's worth owning unless you really, really saw it in the theater and just went nuts for it. Um, but it's it's a it's a good rental, and you don't have to see it in 3D. So um, – but, you know, the nice thing – Ray, our friend Ray Green, former editor of Box Office, always says that he likes to see the thumbprints in clay, in clay animation. And you really do here. When you see it in Blu-ray, man, every you can see the, the ridges from thumbprints. And it's, it's really fun. You see the organic nature of the animation, which is great. It is great. It's a fun film. I didn't expect much. But you know what? Uh, you know, sometimes you're worried that Nick Park always means a home run. But then when, like, the other guy decides to do it, you're worried that the other guy doesn't have the chops that, you know, that the real guy that we loved has. Turns out that he's, he's just as talented. It may not, ha- it may not have the, the pixie dust mm-hmm. that a lot of the Nick Park stuff True. has. 
but still, it's 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 good. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's so many children's titles out there. Um, tons, tons. But here's something where you can totally rent it, get into it. Adults will like it. I, I, yep. I liked it. That was good. Yep. Anyway. Yes, Wade. All right. Well, do you want to talk about those, or would, should would I hit you, with Would the you like me to? Yeah, go ahead and do those. I'll, I'll hold off. I'll let you Wade. get those out of your system. Exactly. Um, Mary Heron is a director who uh, had a blip there. She directed I Shot Andy Warhol and, of course, American Psycho, and uh, started to um, stumble a little bit in the mid-2000s with the notorious Betty Page. Now, I don't know what the hell happened to her. She, uh, her latest film is called The Moth Diaries, and it's one of those very kind of uh, icy, cool, little uh, bloodless kind of, you know, adolescent, ethereal, fragile dramas that um, either kind of... I don't like those. those. I'm not sure I can say what I just said again. Anyway, um, story of a girl who uh, her father committed suicide. She enrolls in a boarding school. And it's all about this new student who comes to the boarding school named, uh, play, I mean, played by Lily Cole. And, uh, you know, and uh, they managed to work vampires into this thing. And uh, does Mary Heron really need to be worried about vampires? Like, come on, just stop it. Anyway, um, the film is definitely atmospheric. And I like the kind of lesbian overtones in it only because it's just usually you're used to seeing the vampire stuff presented an- another way. But here you... The lesbian overtones, I think, are way out there, but I liked it. It wasn't done strictly for like you know titillation purposes. I think it was. It, it sort of folds into the the themes of the film: the fears of mortality and the, the lesbian desires and adolescent jealousies and whatnot. So I like that. But um, otherwise, this film is just simply not very good. Uh, anyway, so that's the Moth Diaries on Blu-ray. Now, another director who. Uh, should be, should know better is Lawrence Kasdan. Now Lawrence Kasdan, what happened to Lawrence Kasdan? I mean, know, this is the guy. I mean, I mean, from from Raiders of the Lost Ark and Empire Strikes Back and even stuff like, uh, you know, uh, every, I mean, Big, Big chill. chill, Big Chill for crying out loud, uh, and um, you know, it just it, the, the, he had him. He was like so good right up until the into the early '90s, and then something just it, went kaput. I mean, look, I mean, this guy, Grand Canyon. Come on. Grand Canyon. The trailer Grand Can- for Grand Canyon made me cry. I know. The trailer. At the very end when, uh, when, uh, when uh, uh, Kevin Klein shakes hands with Danny Glover, that they're, they're sitting on the curb. Yep. I cried. I admit it. This is back in 19-whatever. Anyway, so here's a guy who's gone from writing Raise of the Lost Ark and uh, you know, Empire Strikes you know, He had a hand in Empire mm-hmm. Strikes Back, directing The Big Chill. I just think he's kind of lost it. And when I found out he was um, directing another film, a new film, this one uh, called Darling Companion, you thought to yourself, "Oh my God, what what is what is up, Lawrence Kasdan's sleeve? Yeah, I don't what know. are we going to see? How cool is this going to be? You know what? Lame. Lame. It's about a guy who lost his dog. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Good cast. You know, I, I you know, that look, dog is great. Oh, doggies, they're so dumb. I don't know. Dogs are ridiculously cute. Anyway, um, so anyway, uh, Diane Keaton plays this uh, a, a woman who uh, saves a, a dog side of the freeway. And she's married to Kevin Klein, and they're sort of like empty nesters. And so they, you know, the Van the, the Keen, you know, kind of really falls in love with this animal. And, uh, and then the animal gets lost, you know, runs away, whatever. And uh, that's the movie. That's, it's, just, it's just agonizing. I just don't understand. Like, you know what? If, if you assign this film to any, like, yeah. any director who does, like, kids' films, 
you know? Yeah. Like those, like those little like, like what's it like, like a Benji film or something? Yeah. Like Joe Camp. If Joe Camp directed this, wow, that's a good, it's a good film from Joe Camp. Give me like, uh, yeah, any like, of the, any like, of like those those mid level guys who do these like twenty million dollar dramas for An- animal uh, movies. Animal movies. Yeah. But Lawrence Kasdan, it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Stop that. But look, it's got Mark Duplass, Diane Keaton, <laughs> Kevin Kline, Sam Shepard, Elizabeth Moss, Mark Duplass. So Duplass is not a, a, win- a selling point for me. That name just doesn't work for me. However, guess who called it a true gem? Yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Our good friend Pete Hammond. Uh, not surprising. Anyway. Anyway, Darling Companion is uh, terrible. Although uh, it does have a commentary from Lawrence Kasdan, who co-wrote the film with, uh, with Meg Kasdan. The, uh, the movie Citizen Gangster is a frustrating, frustrating movie. You know, uh, Citizen Gangster is one of these Canadian dramas that is so well made. And I mean it's really well made and really well put together. And it just doesn't quite hit the mark. And it's very, very frustrating. Scott's part of it is because you know, you don't have, like, a real star. Uh, Scott Speedman, all due respect, not the kind of guy that you can build a movie around. He's I mean, a real straight-to-DVD kind of a he guy. He really is. Uh, and it's unfortunate because... He's, he, he's also in the Moth Diaries, by the way. I, I know. If you, if you were to put a real actor in this part and, and maybe, you know, juice it up with a little bit more production value and a bigger cast and, you know, kind of throw a, just a slight bit more at it, this could be, like, Oscar contender stuff. Uh, the story basically, it's the story of Edwin Boyd, who is this uh, Canadian World War II veteran who uh, couldn't get work as an actor, had dreams of becoming a movie star, and then uh, kind of fell into a bank robbing lifestyle. Which is it, it's, it's such a tragic story because his wife didn't know about it, and it winds up sort of drawing his entire family into this life of crime. And then he's become it's you know it's sort of like a guy who thought that he was going to be Errol Flynn, and he winds up becoming Jesse James. And it's there are a lot of tragic twists to this. Now we've seen this story in various forms a million times, but. Again, it's so well made, but it just doesn't doesn't hang together. It doesn't have like the the presence behind it, and I, you know it's partly Speedman's fault, partly because the the script isn't as strong as it should be. The direction is strong. Uh, it's worth seeing, but not worth owning. Uh, and then we have an interesting film here. We have uh, now from the Criterion Collection. We got three different films. Uh, one from the Eclipse line, two regular Criterion films. The first one I'm going to talk about is this uh, Paul Fehos film called Lonesome, which you know, every once in a while, Criterion will come out with something that I have never, ever in my life heard of. And you go, really? I, I, you know, there's stuff that I've never seen that gets the Criterion treatment. But when Criterion comes up with something I've never even heard of, i got to find out what this is all about. Uh, and sure enough, this is an old movie. This is uh, really kind of a forgotten film from 1928. And it is one of the earliest sound films... Uh, from a director who really was much more of kind of a renaissance man. Paul Fehos did, you know, he was, he was all kinds of things. And uh, he was making movies for Universal at the time and decided to make a, sem- basically it's part silent, part sound, like most things were at that time. Uh, but it still qualifies as a sound film. Um, basically uh, kind of a, 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 you know, a, a tribute to Coney Island on the 4th of July. And it's, a, it's really quite a lovely film, very experimental in the way that it's put together. And uh, it's, been, it, it's kind of been shown intermittently, I guess, at festivals and things. But it really is just a, it's a cool, kind of a weird, you know, almost like a man with a movie camera. 
is to Russian film. That's what I think this would probably be to American silence. It's very it's it's experimental, but it's archival and uh, really worth checking out. Uh, the Blu-ray transfer is just fantastic. It's really really lovely, and um, you know I, I think a, a nice discovery here. You get an uh, audio commentary with Richard uh, Kozarski. And uh, the movie The Last Performance, which was uh, a 1929 film, uh, also from Paul Fejos, uh, starring Conrad Veidt. And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other interesting little anecdotes that uh, give you a little background onto Fejos and uh, his movies and his career. And uh, it's just good stuff. So, uh, you know, for film buffs and film history buffs, definitely worth checking out. Wade, the uh, mods and the rockers, Wade. They're at it again. You and your Quadrophenia. They're at it again 30-something years later, whatever it is, with Quadrophenia, which is out on uh, on a must-buy Blu-ray via the good folks at Criterion. This film is uh, directed by Frank Rodam. Rodam, it. It's actually his first film, and uh, it was based on the, um, the rock opera from The Who, which was released, I think, in 1973. The movie was 1979, the album was in 1973. Actually, uh, Roger Daltrey, I don't know why he didn't wind up playing the lead role, which we were talking about yesterday, but um, winds up being played by Phil Daniels, who is still around and is forever uh, synonymous in his home country with that role. So uh, this is a great film. It is very, um, it is very sort of uh, representational of the time, because you get these very well-dressed but drugged-out mods, and you get the, you know, the punky bike riding rockers mm-hmm. and their uh, their their final clash in Brighton and uh, it's a very rough edge film and it's you know what if you're if you're younger maybe you're you know in your maybe your mid late teens or early 20s this is one of the great films about rebellion youthful rebellion and it's got a non-stop almost a non-stop musical score it's got such great films not uh, such great films such great Songs not only from the Who, but there's plenty of other great songs on the soundtrack as well, and so it's a great film. You got to see it. You got to check it out. Uh, the Blu-ray, which looks fantastic, includes a audio commentary by the director, a new interview with the film's co-producer and uh, co-manager Bill Kerbishley. You know what? When you think of uh, British names, Kerbishley, very British. New interview with uh, the Who's sound engineer, which is pretty good too. Um, the, the one that I like, there's a uh, there's a segment from this uh, BBC show called Talking Pictures from 1979, which is all about the making of the film and includes some on set footage, which is nice. So Quadrophenia is a great film. Sweet. You you do you like this film, right? I do very much. Mm-hmm. How can I you think, not like? This I film? love this film. No, it's 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 a, you know it's a, it's a great. First of all, Quadrophenia just is. Uh, it, even if the film weren't made, the subject alone and the execution would make it worth watching. But it is well made, and it's really well put together, and it's a really iconic film, and it's a great piece of film history. But the I good thing it. is that, I mean, the the, uh, the Blu-ray looks great. Yeah. But with Criterion, we kind of expect that, don't mm. we? That is true. Anyway, Quadrophenia, buy it. And then we have from uh, Eclipse, we've got the uh, Maidstone and other films by Norman Mailer. Can you believe it's been five years since Norman Mailer died? Isn't that wild? It Norman feels Mailer like died? Yeah. Five years ago. You know, Norman Mailer, uh, just a tempestuous, heavy-handed pugilist of a writer. Um, this is People don't realize that Mailer actually briefly got into experimental filmmaking. And uh, it was in the late 60s, uh, terminating with Maidstone in 1970, that he did this. And worked with a number of uh, you know, great documentary filmmakers like D.A. Pennebaker. 
And uh, the three films included here are Maidstone, Wild 90, and Beyond the Law. And uh, you know what? It's, uh, it's, it, I don't know that these films are any good, but they're, they're noteworthy. They're interesting because you get a sense of Norman Mailer in them. And I mean that not just because he wrote them and directed them, but because he, or co-directed them, but because he's actually in them. Uh, notably Maidstone, where he is, um, he plays a, a presidential candidate who, uh, you know, is going to be the target of an assassination attempt. And um, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess I would recommend these to people who love experimental films and who love Norman Mailer. I'm not sure I'd recommend this to anybody else, but he, Mailer is certainly an iconic figure, a, a relevant figure that people are still debating, and they will continue to debate him for a long time. Because uh, he's uncomfortable. He's difficult. You have to wrestle with, with his writing, and you have to wrestle with his character and his personality, and all of that comes through in this. So, um, you know, Mailer fans and experimental film fans, check out Maidstone and other films by Norman Mailer. This is Eclipse Series 35, including the films Maidstone, Wild 90, and Beyond the Law. You know it, Wade. You know what else I know? That the, uh, the Blu-ray for Battleship... Can, uh, it features an amazing, it's, unbelievable transfer. It's, 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 it's suddenly Looks a good film, right? Gorgeous. Yeah. Transfer, flawless, unbelievably beautiful, big, bold colors, amazing detail, unbelievable video transfer uh, for Battleship. Audio quality, also great. uh, DTS HD Master 5.1 surround track, unbelievable. All your surrounds will freak out. A lot of extras here, including an alternate ending previous visualization. Um, uh, There's this all-access deal with Peter Berg. and it's kind of like a hosted thing. I think it's like over two hours. Um, and there's a, a tour of the USS Mississippi, uh, the USS Missouri, excuse me, where the uh, film kind of takes place. So the, the video quality of uh, the Battleship Blu-ray is unimpeachable, one of the best of the year. The audio quality, also one of the best of the year. A lot of great uh, extras. The problem is the movie, which is terrible. Yeah. That's really the That problem. happens sometimes. Well, it really shouldn't happen when you spend like two hundred twenty-five million dollars to what make a market film. Seriously, and honestly, this guy—what's his name? The uh, the guy from uh, Mars, huh? The guy from Mars, uh, John Carter. Yes. Yeah. What's his name? That actor who was oh, also uh, who was also uh, in uh, uh, Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch. Poor guy. Well, you notice I don't know his name. Couldn't I mean? Couldn't couldn't pull his name up if I if my life depended on it. Yeah, uh, he was in three disastrous movies this summer. I know, poor guy. That, that <laughs> you really can't. That is just the end of a career. Like, I mean, he really started the year thinking, "This is my year, man." I'm in. I'm in. Th- I'm in three movies. I'm in an Oliver Stone movie. I'm in John Carter for Disney. I'm in <laughs> Battleship for Universal. Oh, I mean, I'm. I'm going to be starring in half a billion dollars worth of movies. Well, do you? He remember? had to think this was it. He was going to be Brad Pitt next year. He was going to be the man. He was going to be the man. Hollywood was going to be at his beck and call, at his doorstep. He was going to be getting script. Oh, yeah, not so much. Well, do you remember? Not so much. Do you remember when, um, when Matthew McConaughey first kind of broke? You know, dazed and confused, and and you know what? And you know, time to kill. And now he's he's coming. This guy's coming. Yeah. And then comes Contact. Why are you in that movie? <laughs> Amistad, like one of the dumbest, worst Spielberg films ever. The Newton Boys. I mean, he did those three within like two I years know. of each other. And I now know. all of a sudden, Matthew McConaughey is like, like, how could starring in, how could, how could starring in a, um, a Steven Spielberg film mm-hmm. and starring in a Robert Zemeckis film be seen as career missteps? Yeah, exactly. Now you have Taylor Kitsch. Who's like, how can you, like, if someone had told him that starring in a huge, you know, Disney he will be, film. He will be lucky to get a sitcom. 
Seriously, yeah, poor guy. He'll be lucky to get a sitcom. Anyway, the music, the music, the movies just. You know what? Honestly, it's like they make these movies for the wrong reason. I know. And the the, the funny thing is that Universal knew they had a dud because at the last minute they decided to release this. I mean, last minute distribution wise, they decided to release this internationally first because mm-hmm. they knew that they had a stinker domestically. Totally, if, absolutely. If, if it's a stinker domestically. You know what that means? Yep. Means it's going to be a stinker internationally because America kind of sets the trend on you know what's considered valuable in film. You know, it's not a great transfer, but it's acceptable. Uh, this is a Best Buy exclusive release that uh, Paramount is doing, and I don't know why. I think it should be just straight across the board, just blow this thing out. But whatever, I guess Best Buy paid a pile of money to have an exclusive on this. So we get School of Rock on Blu-ray. Uh, to my mind, this is the best film that Richard Linklater has ever done. It's the best performance that Jack Black has ever done. It was lightning in a bottle. This is such a fun film. It's so sweet. The kids are awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a clever script, a totally commercial script. It feels like a great throwback to the good comedies of the 1980s. And uh, I heartily endorse this. Now, again, not a great transfer. They kind of blew this out to Blu-ray just to you know, throw, let the transfer monkey throw the switch. Nobody really watching. And so it's got some issues, uh, some, some chalkiness and some, you know... Uh, is I, some edge enhancement issues that I guess are inherited from the uh, whatever master they used for this. All the extras are pretty much the same that were on the previous uh, DVD release. But you know what? Uh, it, it is definitely worth checking out. And then also we have uh, a couple of Halloween movies on Blu-ray. Both of these from Anchor Bay. Uh, this is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael My- Myers. And honestly, if you were to watch them back-to-back, you would forget which one was which. Uh, There are audio commentaries on both of these that are totally negligible. They don't tell you anything that you really need to know. There's some promos, trailers, the usual kinds of uh, little fillers on here. And otherwise, pretty much, even though these are very decent Blu-ray transfers for movies that have no business looking this good, um, honestly, the only people that this is for are people who are such huge fans of the Halloween series that they just can't get enough of Michael Myers' murderous ways in the, in the, in the first three films, one of which doesn't even feature him. You know, that, no. that season of The Witch it has nothing to do with Michael Myers or the Halloween series. You, know, you, you realize that as, as much as we bemoan you know, films today, you yes. realize that, I mean, come on, there were like 17 Freddy films and 16 Halloween oh, films and 19 oh, yeah. Friday the 13th films. We really, we really don't have much to... Uh, oh, in the 30s, there were a lot of crap, too. I mean, there's a lot of crap in every... Yeah. The, thi- yeah. the only difference is that, there, is that today, the crap costs $180 million to make. Very true. Very true. What are you talking about there, Wade? What do you got? Uh, well, let's see. Let's, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, let's, let's do, do that. that. Yeah. Well, and this then... movie, I Think Like a Man. You know, Tim Story, uh, Tim Story is a director who uh, was way, way over his head when he directed uh, a couple of Fantastic Four films. I mean, this is a guy who had gotten his uh, star directing Barbershop and the horrible film uh, called Taxi, a comedy with Queen Latifah. So it's like, yeah, Barbershop, let's give him two Fantastic Four films. It's one thing to give him one Fantastic <laughs> Four film, but why'd you give him the other? It's just it's terrible. He's just not that kind of director. So now he's finally kind of gotten back to what he should be doing which is sort of like light, ensemble, comedy, drama stuff. And here with Think Like a Man, uh, we have him back on uh, familiar territory. I, you know, I I didn't really get much out of this. I I find these films to be very slight. And uh, I like Kevin Hart. He's about the only thing I like in this movie, Kevin Hart. I think. Well, there's nothing wrong. The the, the cast, and Gabriel Union is beautiful. I love her. Kevin Hart's fine too. Jerry Ferrari, you know, he's he's, you know the guy from Entourage. He's fine too. Uh, Taraji P. Henson, Oscar nominee, ladies and gentlemen. She's great. But, um, 
you know, I, I don't really, there's not a whole lot of uh, zing to this stuff. No. And I just find them to be very middling and very, and just not that insightful. And uh, it's Think Like a Man. Yeah, that's it. Gag reel and deleted scenes uh, are available on the Blu-ray. And there's a couple of exclusive Blu-ray uh, features, none of which are worth buying the Blu-ray for. Uh, we're going to go into some television now and wrap out the show. And uh, meanwhile, um, go ahead and send us your Vox boxes and your uh, listener mail. We will be, uh, you know, we really want to get some, some more of your thoughts and your insights. We really do love hearing from the listeners. It's fun I stuff. I don't. Okay, fine. So, uh, you know, Vox Box. does. I'm not interested. Vox Box, any question. Try not to make it longer than about a minute long, <laughs> but uh, pretty much any question or a series of questions. And uh, you can record that, send it to us in any format. We are wizards. We will turn it into whatever we need. And you can send us uh, emails as well to gods at digigods.com. That's gods at digigods.com. How else are you going to hear me sing the Vox Box song? That's it. Unless you send a Vox Box. You got to do it. I don't just sing it. I'm, I'm not some trained monkey. <laughs> I need a Vox Box to sing the Vox Box song. That's it. So here, first off, uh, some here's some television that I really have no interest in. Jersey Shore Uncensored Season 5. You know what it is. It's, it's a bunch of those horrible people just doing horrible things and having sex and acting cool. I mention this only because Snooki had her baby yesterday. She did. So congratulations, Snooki. I still hate your show. Um, and... Uh, I mean, really, it's just it's the, it's the end of television that 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 stupid thing, and then this is what's really cool. This is just a legendary television thing that I didn't expect anybody would ever release. This is the Lieutenant, the complete series in two parts, part one and part two, um, and this is noteworthy because this is uh, Gene Roddenberry's television series before Star Trek. I know everybody thinks Gene Roddenberry, Star Trek, you know, like Gene Roddenberry didn't even exist before Star Trek. Like he just spontaneously burst into existence, and uh, ta da, there you go. But um, there are a lot of interesting little Star Trek connections to this. A lot of, uh, you, you sort of, you know, hear names and you see actors and you realize that all the seeds are kind of being sown uh, for, um, for what would eventually become, you know, just an unbelievable television phenomenon. Now, this is not science fiction, mind you. Uh, not even close to science fiction. This is, a, um, this is kind of like a TV version of Full Metal Jacket, uh, in a way, frankly. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's really quite good and very well done. And you will be, um, you might, if you look at some of the credits, you'll notice, hey, there's a, there's a director who did a couple of episodes of this show named Richard Donner. What? Yeah. Uh, who also, of course, you know, did Gilligan's Island at the time. Um, so, yeah, this is... Um, this is really, uh, you know, it's, it's about training recruits. It's set at, at, at uh, Camp Pendleton and uh, some very, very good stuff here, uh, especially when you see just all kinds of people who would eventually be on Star Trek showing up. It's just really cool. So um, I would recommend this. I, I think this is cool to own. I got to tell you, I think it's cool to own. And this is technically part of the Warner Archive uh, collection. So you can get more on it at warnerarchive.com, but uh, it is uh, it is much higher level of uh, of transfer quality than most of the other Warner Archive stuff, and they don't they don't sort of flaunt it on the cover like they do the other Warner Archive stuff. The the, the logo is very uh, discreetly hidden on the back. So, uh, Wade, let's wrap out with a couple of uh, TV things. What do you say? Let's do it. Uh, Wade, The Walking Dead Season 2 is on uh, Blu-ray. Uh, this is pretty much as good as it will ever get in the zombie uh zombie genre of which we are now suffering through Ugh. which of course comes after the vampire uh, genre which is now slowly f- dying out hopefully and I don't know what's coming next way maybe Frankenstein or something I don't know anyway The Walking Dead is a great show I know that the uh, the controversy was how would the f- how would the film how would the show do without uh, Frank Darabont uh, who was the showrunner for season one well it's doing very very well 
And what's great about the show is that because it's a TV show, uh, they are smart enough to not just make this just a, you know another hour of survival where at the end there's like a big fight between uh, the, the humans and zombies. I mean, they really, they really dig deep, go granular in terms of what it would be like to live in this world. And so you get a lot of surprises. Also, these shows are nothing without characters that you uh, don't want to see die. And I know that uh, Walking Dead has plenty of that. So I love the show. I think it's a great show. I, I, you know, I, I, I pop these things in. I pop season one in like it was candy, and season two because I, I don't, I don't I, wait. I'm never home to watch TV when it happens. I know. And I don't have a TiVo, so I have to watch all these things on DVD and Blu-ray when they come out. Or, or I watch at friends' homes who have T, who have TiVo, and they say right. you got to watch this. Okay. But stuff like Walking Dead, I wind up discovering on Blu-ray, and uh, it's just fantastic. It's a great, great show. The Blu-ray uh, looks good. The uh, show is purposely a little bit desaturated, and I know that the, uh, that the transfer definitely honors that. A lot of greens and browns and whatnot, and a lot of uh, sort of like dirty, dusty colors. Um, a lot of good detail. The audio is uh, very good for whatever that's worth, but still, it's nice. Uh, a lot of uh, extras on this thing. We have audio commentaries on some of the episodes. We have a whole bunch of featurettes, some more interesting than others. But uh, still, the only thing that matters is the, uh, the show itself. Mm-hmm. And Walking Dead is a great show. You know, Boardwalk Empire, uh, season two. I thought I was saying stuff, Wade. Oh, sorry. I, I still have this. Okay, go ahead. And then Finish. you can do that. And then I'll do Boardwalk Empire. Jesus okay. Christ. Okay. All I want to do is have my part of the show. Take two. I want to say things. Take I three. I want people to like me too, Wade. You're fired. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> All right, so uh, House, final season of House. This show was great for a lot of years. I, I, I can't say that I watched, you know, every every season of the show. But um, at the beginning, seasons like like maybe two through four, it was pretty great. Now it's kind of like it's just getting a little more more ridiculous. Some of the some of the uh, some of the comedies a little bit more out there. Some of these episodes are a little bit more flamboyant. These visually flamboyant. Um, so I think it was about time this thing retired itself. Uh, anyway, so there you go. So we have House uh, season eight, the last one, and uh, you know, not one of the be- not one of the better seasons. Although the idea that it's ending definitely gave the seasons some energy because you're sort of wondering how it's going to finally resolve itself. And uh, there you go, a couple bonus features on this thing, including a look back at the show, uh, a couple of uh, scenes of Hugh Laurie directed a couple of the episodes, or at least one of the episodes Good for uh, him. this um, season, and a look at how that was done. And uh, there you go. Also, there's a good feature out on the cast and crew looking back on the eight seasons now that it is all over. So House uh, on Blu-ray, season eight. If you've got the other seven, why would you not buy this one? Boardwalk Empire, season two, the complete second season on uh, Blu-ray, DVD, digital copy combo, which includes a, uh, a thing that really is close to, you know, you can't, you can't redeem the digital uh, copy after the uh, 28th of uh, 2014, so you only have a year left. Quickly running out of time. I'm telling you. So you got to get this now. Uh, I don't know why they put those expirations on it. Anyway, the um, this is the second season of Boardwalk Empire, and on Blu-ray, it looks fantastic. And I'm going to say something about this. First of all, three things. Extras are phenomenal. They're educational. They understand that the show has a Prohibition-era setting, so they go out of their way to really, really immerse you in information that will not only educate you but make the show more enjoyable by virtue of your education. Bravo. They're treating uh, viewers intelligently, which HBO always does. Lots of great audio commentaries uh, featuring cast and crew, and uh, it's great. Really, really outstanding stuff. This is just a superb uh, product all around. And here's the thing. Lawless is out right now, which is also a Prohibition movie, feature film. 
don't like how it looks, love how this looks. This looks more like a feature film than that film does. That's not a bad movie, but it's just this, to me, really, really brings it, and that doesn't quite do it. Also, Michael Shannon, who's very funny in uh, Premium Rush, which just opened, he's very funny in that movie, but better in this. Michael Shannon, great actor, perfect for this. So, outstanding uh, Boardwalk Empire second season. And then lastly... Um, the complete first season of Once Upon a Time, an inexplicably popular show that takes uh, fairy tales and mashes them all together in a thing that jumps back and forth between uh, back then and now or some other dimension and this dimension. Still doesn't make sense to me. My mother-in-law loves this show. Uh, I've, I've sat down and tried to watch it numerous times, and all I can wrap myself around is that Robert Carlyle is really overacting, but I like him so much uh, that, that I just I, I accept it. But everything else in this makes no sense to me. I can't, I can't put the whole plot together. Even just watching it from the beginning, it, it just feels, uh, it, it, it feels like too much of a weird conceptual mashup, and uh, I just, I, that's not my thing. But anyway, a lot of people love it. It is a, it is a great transfer. It comes with a little uh, lenticular cover and an exclusive feature on the Blu-ray, uh, the uh, History of Fairy Tales with Josh Dallas. So uh, you know they're really uh, playing to their audience. They're playing to their strengths. So. Uh, you know, if you like this show, please email us at godsdigigods.com and explain to me what on earth is going on and why I don't get it. Uh, that being said, Mark, we are done. And, uh, you know, email us, gods at digigods.com. Mark, what what are you looking forward to in the fall? Movies. <laughs> I always drop a bomb on you. You actually haven't done it for a while. I know. I'm going to say the only movie I'm looking forward to, Wade, which is the only movie you're looking forward to. Yep, that's it. Say it. The Master. That's right. That's it. P.T. Anderson, shot in 65mm negative, 70mm projected. Only the third film since uh, since 1970, Ryan's Daughter, the David Lean film. Only the third film since then to be shot that way. You know what the other two are? Um, um, Ron Howard's Far and Away, which I saw at Cannes. Was not impressed. Uh, and the other one is uh, Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Ooh, so really? we are we are in rarefied territory here. Looking forward to the master big time. See you guys next week. Yeah.